First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. He begins this ending by saying, I have written to you by Silvanus. I've written to you by Silvanus. Silvanus was the person who likely was bringing that letter to them. Which, if you remember at the beginning of the letter, he's writing to a series of churches. So, so Silvanus is about to take a big trip. As Peter finishes this letter, and they've been talking about it, he's going, okay, Silvanus, you're going to take this letter. And he would have been talking with him about it so that if there's any confusion about any of the writing or what Peter meant, Silvanus is going to be able to talk with them about that because he's going to deliver this letter. And he's going to do this over and over again as he visits the churches throughout Asia. And so Silvanus is is going and and Peter's saying, look, I, I trust Silvanus. I trust him. He's, as, as far as I'm concerned, he is a faithful brother and that's why I'm sending this letter by, through him. I commend him to you as trustworthy. I know that having written this down and having it be such an important message that I can entrust it to him and he will deliver it and get it to you. And he apparently did a great job of that because that letter was not only delivered to those churches, but it circulated around and then was canonized and we now have it here in front of us. Which is an awesome testimony to the written Word of God. Isn't it? Because Peter, an eyewitness of Jesus, one of those top three disciples who spent so much time with him, hears about some issues going on in the churches in Asia, writes them a letter, circulates that among them, and that is preserved for us so that we can look back on it. And it's still valuable to us. Because God's Word is so sure to us. His promises remain. And life hasn't really changed that much since this time. And so I have found, and I hope you have too, those of you who have been with us through the whole series in First Peter, that this is such a valuable book. Such an encouraging book. Because it's so real. It's not fluffy or light. Peter is writing to them to encourage them. He says, uh, I wrote this by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written, written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. I have written briefly to you. It's just a short little letter. Just a short little book, just a couple of chapters long. It's about 105 verses. It's not that long of a book. But I I wrote this briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. Now, I want to go back to 1 Peter 
chapter 1 and, and look at the beginning of this letter as he begins to exhort them. To, he begins to encourage them and tell them about this true grace of God. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is that true grace that Peter was wanting to remind them of. You can just see this group of people that, that um, hear about the good news about Jesus, right? This spiritual kingdom that, that Jesus has, has redeemed us so that we can be made right with God. God, that eternal Father, the Creator of the world, who has seen the sins of His people and their separation from Him and wanted to do something about it. And so He sends Jesus, His Son, to die on the cross for their sins. And they hear about this. These people throughout Asia were hearing about this and rejoicing in that and responding to that. And say, yes, I want that. I want that kind of hope. I want the God of heaven to love me like that. And if I can get that through Jesus, sign me up. I want to believe in that. But then, having said that, having declared faith in Jesus, what they found is that life did not suddenly get easier. In fact, in many ways, it got harder. It's not like they suddenly professed faith in Jesus and then all the sickness and all the suffering and all the challenges in life disappeared. But now, because they are living for Jesus, they are trying to live these holy lives, they're no longer being included by the people who used to be their friends. They're being teased and ridiculed and in some way, sometimes shunned because of their faith. Persecuted and pressed out of the community because of what they believe. And they're going, hang on, we haven't seen Jesus. Is this right? Is this true? Can I remain in this kind of faith? And so Peter's saying, look, the reason that I wrote you this letter, just a short little letter, but I sent it by Silvanus to you, is that I might encourage you, exhort you, remain firm, because this is the true grace of God. Not something else. It's not easy. It's not a quick fix. But this is our hope. Yes, yes. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, absolutely. 
Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And we have a, a living hope because of that. A hope that resides in us because of the work of Jesus. Because He has forgiven us. But it's because our sins have been forgiven and we've been reconciled with God. That's the hope that we now have. It's not some other hope. It's only that. It's an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, but it's kept in heaven. It's waiting for you. In many respects, we have already entered into an eternal life. We already have forgiveness. We already are beginning to have that relationship with God. But one day that will be perfected in an unfading, glorified way. And that reality has not yet been realized. It's kept in heaven for you who currently, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for that salvation that will be revealed in the last time. By God's power, you're being guarded through your faith. And so now you're rejoicing, even though, if now for a little while, you might be grieved by various trials. Yes, I recognize there are trials, there are challenges, there is suffering right now, and that is right. How many people want to tell us that it's not right? That there must be something wrong with my faith if I'm suffering. I must not believe hard enough. I must not be doing good enough if I'm suffering currently. Peter's going, no, no. This is part of life. This is even part of the Christian life. There may be now trials and suffering. So that, he says in verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's when the eternal beauty will begin. That's when all of the suffering will be removed. That's when every tear from our eye will be wiped away. That's when every injustice will be dealt with. And He will reign as eternal King. That's when that will happen. But for now, yep, there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be some trials. And we expect that. Peter's writing to them this letter and he's telling them, I want you to know that this is the true grace of God. This is the true grace of God. That in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the challenges, we yet rejoice because we have an eternal hope that's coming to fruition. It's a glory yet to come. A glory yet to be revealed. But right now, through faith and by the power of God, we are being kept and secured for that eternal glory. Which is why... Verse 8 of chapter 1, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though you haven't seen Jesus, even though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice 
with a great joy because we know, we know of His work on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, His ascension into heaven, His reigning at the right hand of God the Father on high, and the expectation that when He returns, we will be glorified with Him. It's a great hope that we have. So back in chapter 5, he says, I've written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. Don't let anybody push you over. Don't let anything get in the way. Don't trip or fall over. But remaining firm in the faith, stand firm. There was a, a time that I uh, got a membership at a new gym. This was several years ago. I got a membership at a new gym and when you get the new membership, you get a fitness orientation which is when uh, somebody comes along and they show you around the gym and they explain to you that you need personal training. And uh, they, they walked me through and they, they said, okay, let's see how your core strength is. And I went, I'm 20 years old. My core strength is great. And so they said, okay, sit on this ball. I sat on the ball and they said, okay, I'm going to push on you and you just stay still. I'm sitting on a ball. So they pushed me and I fell over. They said, yeah, you need to work on your core strength. I went, wait a second, that's not fair. (laughs) Turns out, my core strength was not as good as I thought it was. I thought I was firm and stable, but I wasn't. What Peter is saying here is, make sure that your core strength is good. That you're remaining firm in the faith. That you are firm in what the gospel is. And that that's what your hope is in. Because if your hope is in other things, somebody's going to come and they're just going to push you over and you're going to fall down. Remain firm in the faith. Remain firm. And then he writes and he says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends greetings. And so does Mark, my son. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Now, Babylon is an interesting use here. That he would say, somebody from Babylon is sending their greetings. Because if you remember your Old Testament history... There were there was the kingdom of Israel. That kingdom of Israel got divided into two kingdoms. And then because they were turning away from God and not worshipping Him, because they were worshipping idols instead, they went into captivity, into exile. There was there was they were conquered and then dragged into exile and they were dragged out to Babylon. And so there's a lot in the prophets about all of this that's happening through Nebuchadnezzar and other things as they are in captivity in Babylon, as they are in exile. Exile meaning they are not allowed to be back in their home of Israel in God's presence, in the chosen land. They are yet out in exile. And so, when he's using this, he's probably talking about Rome, although he's 
certainly just referring to the church in exile. The church that is not home yet. And so as he's writing to them and he's talking about this church that is not home yet, this exiled church, he's saying, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Isn't that a great uh, contrast? On the one hand, exiled, not in God's uh, land, and at the same time, chosen by God as His people. Both are true. Both exiled and chosen. And in fact, if you've been reading through First Peter with us, you've heard this language before. God, he's been talking about these very things. You are a chosen race, a, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Because you live here? No. Wherever you happen to be, because you are chosen by God to believe in Jesus, you are chosen. But in verse, uh, uh, but in First Peter chapter two, verse eleven, he says, "Beloved, you who are loved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles." to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You are beloved, he says in chapter 2. You're loved by God and by me. So live as those who are foreigners and exiles. It's this language that he's been using throughout the book that's helping us to understand that we have this dual identity. Yes, we are God's people, His children, loved by Him. Yes, we have been redeemed. And we have a future home and glory with Him. But at the same time, we are exiles here. And we are in and amongst those who do not believe in God. And we have to live differently from them. And while we're in this place where we may experience some persecution or some suffering for a time, we should walk in faithfulness, being dependent on the gospel, being dependent on the good news of Jesus, keeping our hope and our eyes fixed on Him, So that our hope is not in our circumstances or our location, but is always only on Him. And then, perhaps, others will watch and see that and glorify God on the day of visitation. When Jesus returns again, they will glorify Him because they have seen what He's been doing in us. And they have wanted the same. So he's referring to this church that's exiled, but is also chosen. These fellow believers who are in similar circumstances, wherever they may be. Those who are with Peter as he's writing to them. And he's saying, look, we all are in this with you. We all are in this with you. And we send you our greetings. I've written this note briefly to you just to encourage you and exhort you to stand firm in the grace that you have received. And I want you to know that we send our greetings to you. That we are likewise in this with you. And so does Mark, my son. 
Mark probably had some sort of friendship or connection with them. And, and so Peter's saying, hey, hey, Mark's here. And Mark says, hi. Have you ever done that with somebody? Oh, my wife says hi. My kids say hi. Or you, you're out and about and you bump into somebody and they see you. Oh, hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, and so you talk with them for a little bit and they say, oh, say hi to your family when you get back. Okay. I'm sending them my greetings. And so Peter, in, in this letter, is sending these greetings from these fellow Christians that have some relationship with them, even some that they've never met before, but they still have this connection with them because they are friends in the gospel, because they are fellow believers. And so he's writing to them, and he's saying, look, we all are sending our greetings to you. And then he tells them that they ought to greet one another. So greet one another with the kiss of love. Some of you are going, wait, hold up, time out. Travis, are you going to tell us we have to start kissing? No, I'm not going to say that. But I am going to say that I think that there should be appropriate physical expressions of affection. Appropriate but also physical expressions of affection for one another. We are connected. We love one another. It might be a high five. It might be a handshake. It might be a fist bump. I know a teacher that does elbow bumps because of germs. <laughs> Thinking about picking that up myself. Except it looks weird. Could be a hug. Depending on the relationship, it could be a holy kiss. But this way of expressing love in a way that the other person is, it feels and acknowledges, yes, we have a connection, we have a relationship. Now, isn't it terrible that I say this and the first thing that pops into my head is, okay, I'm going to be talking about this kissing thing. Me too, right? It's unfortunate, not because there's been this whole Me Too movement, but because that there has to be a Me Too movement. Because there are people who are expressing love, but that's not actually an expression of love. They're doing it because they want to do that. Don't be that kind of people. You're expressing love because it's for the other person so that they feel loved. So how are they going to feel loved? I, I may have told you this before. If you've been around long enough, I'm sure I've said this before. I was a hugger. That was, I mean, you got a hug. If you walked into the church, you got a hug from me. If you came to my house, you got a hug from me. And then I, at one point I realized, um, because somebody was bold enough to tell me, I don't really do hugs. Don't do hugs. Who doesn't do hugs? And as they explained to me why they don't do hugs, I went, I never knew that. And then as I was expressing this to family members, my sister told me, yeah, I'm not really a hugger either. What? My own flesh and blood that I have been hugging for years and decades? And she goes, yeah, I'd never really. And so now I go, okay, I want to ask, are you a hugger? 
Because I'm happy to give hugs, but I now only give hugs to huggers. Sounds like a bumper sticker. <laughs> hugs to huggers. But, but expressing in an appropriate uh, physical expression of affection that we're connected. And Peter's going, I'm writing to you from afar. Right? I'll, I'll have this. <laughs> People will talk to me. Oh, give your wife a hug from me. Okay. I think that's what he's saying here. I'm not there to physically express my love for you. And so express it to one another. Encourage one another. Connect with one another. Love one another. Let's not get lost on the physical gesture. Whether that's a high five, a fist bump, a hug, or a kiss. Let's not get lost on that, but recognize that this is a connecting in relationship. We're connecting in relationship. We're acknowledging we have a connection. Some of us have a very close connection. Some of you I know very well. Some of you I don't know very well yet. But I love you for the sake of the gospel, even if I don't know you very well. And I hope that we continue to get to know one another and we build this relationship and that within the church, we are expressing to one another our love and affection for one another. God has not only redeemed us, forgiven us of our sin and given us a future hope, but He has given us this family. This family that isn't just right in this room, but believers all around the world who are expressing the love of God to one another. Look at how much greeting there is here. In this whole section, Peter is greeting them through Sylvanus. The church in Babylon is greeting them. Mark is greeting them. They are to greet one another. And the reason for all of this is so that he can encourage them and exhort them to stand firm in the true grace of God. And that is what our connecting should do. We should be encouraging one another. We should be... Um, facilitating belief in the Gospel. The good news that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that we might be saved. We ought to be expressing that kind of love to one another and encouraging one another. That's why we connect with each other. That's why we do that here. That's why we do that all over the world. One of the things that I'm super excited about right now is we're finishing up a week of prayer this week where seven churches in Wilsonville have been praying for 24 hours a day that God would work in the city of Wilsonville. What an awesome opportunity to recognize that there are other believers not in this room, in this city that we might encourage them and pray for them and they might encourage us and pray for us. And that together we might pray for this city that God would do great things in this place. We encourage one another here. So does Mark. 
So does Sylvanus, so does the church in Babylon. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. May God's peace reside in you. His holy, awesome, contented peace. I say that slowly because I feel that in this time we move at a very fast pace. There's a lot going on. There are many stressors. There are many things to worry and concern us. But we have an eternal hope. And so may the peace of God be with you. May you find peace when you come to this place. One of my prayers is that this would be a, pl- a place of peace. A people of peace. We recognize that when, because we're in relationship with one another, there are times at which we frustrate and annoy one another. That's normal. But I hope also that we work through those things so that, for the most part, this is a place of peace. That you don't have the same kinds of anxieties here among this group of people that you do when you're at work or maybe with family members or friends or neighbors. But that here, this would be a place of peace for those who are in Christ. That we just say, this this is a holy place. May the peace of God be with you. Remember, Peter is writing to people who are suffering and being persecuted for their faith. And he's telling them, even though all of that is going on, remain firm, of the, firm in the faith by the power of God in anticipation of an eternal glory. And may the peace of God be with you in Christ Jesus. May I pray for that for you right now? Father in heaven, there are many things going on. There are many stressors. There are many challenges. Lord, there are people here who have been struggling with other family members. There are people here who have been uh, struggling with friends who feel like they are being attacked at work. Who are in quarrels with their neighbors. Father, there are people here who have been suffering. They've been suffering because of persecution. 
They've been suffering because of loss. They've been suffering because of illness. They've been suffering emotionally because of things that have been weighing on them. And Father, we recognize that this is not the way that you have created it to be. That you created the world that we might experience your peace and your love and fellowship with one another in a perfect, loving way. And when these things are not our experience, but instead we experience these sufferings and these trials and these challenges, Father, we need your inner peace. And so I pray for those people here in the, their variety of challenges that they're coming here with that you would give them peace deep in their soul. That they would stand firm, remaining strong in the faith. Believing that Jesus really did die on the cross for their sins. Believing that He really did rise again from the dead, conquering sin and death. Believing that because they have confessed their sins to you, you have forgiven them of their sin and removed it so that they now stand holy and pure before You. Reminding them in their spirits that You are their Father who loves them and they are Your children. Having their eyes fixed on an eternal hope waiting for them in heaven. And Father, that until that day comes, that You would fill their hearts and their minds with peace. And we ask for this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.